All right, let's open our Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's see if this is going to work. Oh, look at that, it works. 1 Timothy chapter 6, last time we talked about witnessing in the very worst of circumstances and that God will equip us. And life, uh, like Kelly said, you know, it's not always easy. But God is there with us and God will equip us. Now today in chapter 6, he moves back to speaking about the false teachers. Now he began the whole book speaking about false teachers and false teaching and and, uh, what a problem it was. And that was the first order of business that he felt like he had to deal with. And now he gets back to it. He's, He's been referring back to it, back and forth to it a bunch But he gets back to it again, and you know what, I I think the reason is because it was a huge problem then. But you know, the truth is, it's a huge problem today, too. It seems as if one of their motivations, as we'll see in this passage here, one of their motivations of these false teachers was what? For the love of money. Greed, for the love of money. But first, I want to ask you a question, and, and this is the question, are you content? Now, that's a tough question, I understand. It's a question you've got to think about, but let, let me just ask you again, are you content? Are you content with what you have? Are you content with your life? Maybe other areas of your life, are you content? Now, you say, well, what does content mean? This is what it means from the Webster's New World Dictionary. Happy enough with what one has or is, not desiring something more or different, satisfied. So let me ask the question again, are you content? Are you content? Do we have enough? Or are we striving, this striving to have more? Now, it's not wrong to work hard. Don't misunderstand me. But there's something here. This is like a heart issue that we're talking about here. Wanting to have more. Striving to have more. And it seems like the false teachers, they were actually feeding discontent. And why were they doing that? For the love of money. Because, you know, as we'll see, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But let's look at at, uh, the first uh, few verses there. uh, Chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. It says this, if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind, who have been robbed of the truth, and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Wow. That's a mouthful. Let's pray. Father, we, again, we, as uh, we already heard today, we want to get your perspective on life, and on life in this world, and we've been, we have been bombarded with the the viewpoints of the world. We want your viewpoint. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds with your word and what you have to say about this life. In Jesus' name. So they're teaching these false doctrines that are, that are not in agreement with Jesus. He says that there in verse 3. They're false doctrines. They don't agree with the teaching of Jesus, the instruction of Jesus. They are... Uh, different. 
And one of the things that, that you can watch out for, you can look out for, is when they say, you know, I've got this, I've got this new slant. I've got this unique way of looking at it. It's a very special teaching that I have for you. And, and, but yet, it, even though it doesn't agree with exactly what Jesus said, and, and sometimes it will be just, just slightly off, right? You don't have to be very far off to get way out there in the ocean, right? How many of you are on the ocean, people? If, you are, if you're off by one degree, where are you going to end up? Thousands of miles. Lost at sea. We can make a movie. Lost at sea. Just took one degree. Hey, that rhymes. Hey. What? I was going to make a point. Teaching false doctrines. Just getting off a little bit. They were not in agreement with what Jesus taught. They were not in agreement with godly teaching, which comes from the scripture, from the Bible. They, they were just... Off, the, off just enough to get people's attention. Second Timothy talks about people with itching ears. It kind of, you know, they, they kind of wanted to hear that. But if you look at uh, the character attributes of, of these people here in these verses, it says that number one is that they're conceited. There's a conceit that, you know, hey, I really have this here. And, and actually, I found it interesting, this word means this. To envelop with smoke, to inflate with self-conceit. It's like a, it's like smoke and mirrors. You know that phrase, and and that's really what it is. These false teachers, they had all this stuff, but there's a lot of smoke. But there's no fire. There's no reality. There's no truth. They've they've gone out, uh, you know, out on a limb, and and and. The next thing is they really don't understand what they're talking about. Paul mentioned that earlier. They like controversy. They like quarrels. Again, they like to be different. Well, we've got this thing going on over here, the gold dust coming out of the sky. It's a little different. We understand that. But it is so blessed. It is so crazy, so cool. Well, is there anything about the Bible in it? No, not really. But you know what? It's really something. And that's the kind of the way it begins. It begins like that. And, and uh, this idea to be different. But Paul says in, in uh, 2 Timothy to keep reminding the people that, that these things are going on. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. He says it's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. And then he says do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, if we, if we just start to get off on our own away from this book, away from the scripture, we're going to get into trouble every single time. Every single time. So he says, watch out for these false teachers. And notice that last part of verse uh, 5, he says, who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Again, uh, they are in it for the money. Well, I passed over the fruit. They, there's just bad fruit. Envy, strife, malicious talk, constant friction. And I think, as I said earlier, they sow these seeds of discontent. Well, you need more. And if you come to our church... And if you not only come to our church, but if you give to our church, if you give to this ministry, God is going to give you more. Have you ever heard that kind of teaching before? 
it's out there. It's, it's pretty prevalent. I think it's more prevalent than we realize. And he says that they think that godliness is a means to financial gain, that, that really they're only in it for the money. And I, I find that so hard to fathom on one hand. But how could somebody stand up and really they've got this thing going on they, and, and really they're teaching these things, but they really all they really want is to get money. They, all they really want is to, to uh, pad their own bank accounts. I find that hard to believe. But on the other hand, I find that easy to believe. Because people are sinners. We're sinners. And, you know, it, it's not a hard, a hard thing for, you know, somebody to get in the flesh and start teaching these weird things so that, well, this seems to be working out great. It seems to be a lot happening. It seems to be going on. How many of you have heard of the health and wealth and the prosperity gospel? You've heard of that. Some of you, thank God you haven't. I'll tell you a little bit about it so you can be prepared and you, you can know what's going on. But uh, before we do, I want you to turn with me to head to, to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, ahead uh, a few books there uh, past James. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, <clears throat> Peter's talking about false teachers as well. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Look at verse 2. He says, many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, notice that, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them. Their destruction has not been sleeping. He says, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you. It's a, it's a whole system of exploitation. But look what it says in verse 2. He says, how many will follow them? Many. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Many will go that way. Like I said, it's, it's more prevalent. I found an article in Christianity, Christianity Today who, which said that it's more prevalent than we even know. This kind of prosperity uh, gospel that has been going through the church. And, and the truth of it is you can find very, very large churches that, have, that, that pretty much that's their message. People are flocking there. Many are going there. But, but, but on the other hand, when you hear people and you, someone would see them, let's say, on a television program or whatever, people who are not believers, who can see right through that, what, what do they think about it? What, what's their impression of the church? What kind of a picture do they get of, of Christian you know, uh, ministry and preachers? Not a good one, wouldn't you say? When they see someone up there begging for money, someone up there saying that, you know, if you send me money, I'm going to send you this special prayer cloth that you can put under your pillow along with your, you know, teeth waiting for the good fairy. And, and, and good stuff will happen to you. God will bless you with that. Again, you say, well, you know, where are you coming up with all this stuff? Like, this, this isn't even true. I've never heard any of that stuff. Believe me, it's been around for the past 40 or, or 50 years. And it's huge. 
But what it is is people taking advantage. And this, this really irks me, the people taking advantage of, of other people who are really trying to seek after the truth and trying to seek after God. Taking exploitation, that's what it is. The health and wealth prosperity gospel. Uh, I read this. They call it prosperity theology, sometimes referred to as the prosperity gospel. The health and wealth gospel or the gospel of success is a Christian religious doctrine. I question the Christian part. That financial blessing is the will of God for Christians and that faith, positive speech, speech and donations to Christian ministries will increase one's material wealth. Did you get that? Someone else said in the Apologetics Index, they said the prosperity teaching is an aberrant doctrine, largely, largely promoted by the word faith movement. Here's how it is sold. God wants you to be rich and or healthy. Well, I'm already rich. That's my name. <laughs> but he cannot bless you unless you first send money. Also known as a seed faith offering to whichever televangelist or teacher tells you about this scheme. He can't bless you until you send the money in. And when you send the money in, he's going to bless you. He's going to give you all kinds of money. He's going to give you all kinds of things. You're going to be protected from everything. They went, I like this. They went on to say, well, if this scam worked as advertised, televangelists would be sending you money. Right? If it works so good, why don't they send us money and then they'll be blessed with all the money, right? But it's not that way. Well, just send me money. So at this time, we're going to take an offering. And, uh, oh, yeah, we don't do that. I'm sorry. Godliness is a means to financial gain. Some would think that way. If I live right, I'm going to be blessed financially. Is that always true? Does the Bible promise that? The Bible says that God will take care of us. That's what the Bible promises. That God, God takes care of his people financially and every other way. But it doesn't promise us that we're going to be free from difficulties and struggles and trials in this world and in this life. Look at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's, that's opposed to what the, these false teachers are telling. Godliness, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to gain, but godliness is gain when it's accompanied by contentment. To be satisfied with what we have, what God has given us. One commentator wrote this, the human soul was not created to find contentment in the accumulation of stuff. He said, this is a phantom that, many, that too many people chase. Personal peace is found in relationship with God. This is great gain. You know, we, we do that. We chase after these things. Even, even as believers, we chase after these things, but they're just phantoms, thinking that if I can, if I can get that, if I can have that, if I can be this or be that, and, and, and not being content, not being satisfied with where God has us, with what God has given us. And as we'll see at the end, with God himself. 
we're really not satisfied with God himself is what it boils down to in the end. I'll show you that. Look at verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. You've heard that before, right? I was talking with Kelly earlier this week about some of the sayings that that are in our our vocabulary that that come out of the Bible. And the concepts that come out of the Bible, and and most people don't know they come out of the Bible. We're going to look at one in a minute. But this one too, how how much did he leave? So-and-so died. How much did he leave? What's the answer? Everything. That's what we see here. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. How much am I going to leave? I'm going to leave all of it. All that stuff I got in my garage? I'm going to leave it all. Problem is that my wife's got to sort through it. She says, stop going to yard sales and buying this stuff. She's got on my case today about it because I stopped. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to tell you the secret. I stopped on the way here. I got some really good stuff on the way here this morning. I'm telling you what. But, you know, I guess it's only a good deal if you need it. Or you can use it. Job said this, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. It's all about God, you see, our lives on this planet. It's not about the stuff that we can put together, that we can gather up. We we can't take it with us. So why are we so fixated on stuff? Why? Why are we so fixated on the money, and really it's, it's mostly on paper, isn't it? It's not really, well, maybe it's in your mattress, I don't know, but it's mostly numbers on a computer screen now. It's not even on paper hardly. And I'll tell you the reason why I think that we're still so fixated on stuff because we haven't learned the secret of being content. We haven't learned the secret of being content. Why do I say that? Because that's what Paul said right in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And there's a secret there in verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. We, we quote that verse a lot, but, but the context right here is, is what? Is contentment. The context is being content no matter what the circumstances. Where you have a lot. I heard somebody um, speaking about Paul the Apostle. And he was talking about, you know, we have, we have no problem seeing Paul like in need. Without a lot. But we have a little bit of a problem seeing Paul, you know, having all kinds of stuff. We, we can't quite picture that. But, but, but that's what Paul was saying, you know, that, that whether he had a lot or whether he had only a little bit, he said there's something about being content because I can do it I, and I can be content through Christ who gives me the strength because he's the one that meets my need. We chase after so many phantoms. We chase after so many things that we think are going to satisfy us. But all they do is leave us empty. 
All they do is leave us empty. And, and, and he, God, Jesus, is the only one that can satisfy. He's the only one that's going to bring that contentment into our lives. I want to learn that secret. I have to say, I haven't, I haven't got that one down. I still think I need more stuff. Why do you think I go to the yard sale? I think I need more. Right? I don't think I have enough yet. I'm still going to go to yard sales. I'm sorry. But those things aren't going to make me content. Those things aren't going to satisfy me on the inside. Right? Because what happens when you go to a yard sale and there's nothing good there? You're going to walk away unsatisfied? Malcontent? Discontented? You see, we, we look in the wrong places for, to find that content. Are you content? Have you learned the secret of being content? I want to learn that secret. I want to learn like Paul. It's something that we have to be trained in. He says, I learned it. We have to learn. It's not something that comes natural to us. What comes natural to us, and, and if you've been around babies at all, is basically, uh, you know, from day one, they're crying because they want, right? I want to be fed. I want to be changed. I want this. I want you to show all the attention to me. It's a, it's, that's our natural, right, our default mode. I want. I need. I have to have. But to be trained, you know, you train children. Listen, it's not all about you. We, we, we're learning this song um, uh, with, the, with the kids, you know, because one of them was like going off about something they want. I said, it's all about me. It's all about me. And then, and then the other one says, no, no, let's sing it like this. It's all about others. It's all about others. But, but what, what our default is, it's all about me and what I want, what I think I need. We're never going to find contentment there. Look at verse 8. He says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. With food and clothing, you say, well. And, and this word for clothing literally is, is uh, the word for covering. So one uh, person pointed out that it can include shelter as well. So let me ask you, did you eat today? Um, if you didn't, you can come downstairs right after <laughs> and we'll fix you up. Do you, do you have clothes on? Do you have a place to lay your head? Jesus said he didn't even have a place to lay his head and yet he was content because of the Father in his life. Do you, know, do you know that we are so wealthy? We are so wealthy as Americans. We, we don't even have a clue. We think, you know, I, I, man, I, need, I, I don't have enough. But the truth is, some estimate that we, on average, are in the top 1%. Some say it's more like 10%, but we're in the top at least, say, 5% in, in uh, wealth in the whole world. We're in the top 5%. And yet, we want more. We are so wealthy. We have so much. And yet, we want more. I want more. I got to get more. I got I to work and, and make that happen to the detriment of, of, of 
you know, my family or to the detriment of being involved in, in fellowship and to the detriment of spiritual things as he's going to show us here in, in the last verses. Look at verse 9. He says this, people who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. This idea, I want to get rich, I want to get rich. Foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. We have so much, and yet we think we need more than we already have. How about that we're a little thankful for what we already have? Thankful that, that you know, that we... I heard John Corson had this little illustration of, of uh, this place that had uh, two, like, streams. Uh, two, uh, uh, I can't remember what they were, streams, let's say, and one was cold and one was hot, like a hot spring and a cold spring, and they were right next to each other. And, and, and someone asked the, the, the person who was, was uh, washing their clothes or whatever, and he says, isn't this great? You got hot and cold, like hot and cold running water. He says, no, but I'm not really, I'm kind of upset because, you know, there's no soap. You know, we're not thankful for what we already have. The fact that we can go to our house and turn on the spigot, I mean, that is amazing, really. Turn on the spigot and hot water comes out. The water comes out at all. But he says, watch out. He says, you know, we'll fall into temptation, fall into a trap, fall into many foolish and harmful desires. We'll try anything. We'll do anything. We'll compromise just so we can get what we think we want, what we think we need. In verse 10, finally, he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs for the love of money. That's a phrase that, that we have in our vocabulary, isn't it? The love of money. Or, or people shorten it, don't they? It's easy to twist things. Money is the root of all evil. Have you heard that? Well, it doesn't say that, does it? First of all, it comes from the Bible. Secondly, it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. What does it say? The love of money. The love, where you love it. We're in love with money. Say, man, don't say that. I'm not in love with my money. Really? Okay, let's take that offering now. Or you can just bring it up right now. If you're not in love with it, you just bring it up and put it right here. It's not so easy to do when you start thinking about it in concrete terms, right? I'm, I'm just being real here. I don't have any money. I just gave it to the guy at the yard sale. <laughs> For the love of money, not the money itself, the love of it. Although, there was a guy, his name was Mike Iaconelli. He, he wrote a, a, a magazine called The Wittenberg Door. How many of you heard of that? This is going back a few days, but a kind of a satirical Christian magazine. And uh, <clears throat> he was a writer, he was a pastor, and, and uh, uh, a number of years back, not that long ago. He also worked a lot with Christian uh, youth. But he said this, he said, Radical faith doesn't mean that we all give up our money and become indigent. But it does mean 
that we give up the antiquated illusion that money isn't evil. He said, we must face up to the frightening fact that anything money touches, it corrupts, including us. Money is evil. This is his opinion. And therefore, extremely dangerous. We should be running scared. We should fear money. We should constantly, we constantly need to check and recheck what money is doing to us. Have a periodic money checkup. All of us had better start learning how to say no to money because if we don't face up to the damage it is causing, we may find ourselves and the institutions we love destroyed by it. Again, he's a, he's a satirist. He kind of makes satire, but, but there's some truth in that too to watch out. Watch out for that thing we call money. Jesus said it. He says you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both. He says it's a root. And... It, I think this is a better translation. It's a root. It's not the only root, but it's a root of all kinds of evil. You know, all the get-rich schemes, all the fraud that's perpetrated, drug dealing. Why do they do that? Money. Corruption in politics. What's that all about? Money and power. Lying, stealing. Notice he says there that some that were eager for money have wandered from the faith. That's a scary thing, isn't it? Wandered from the faith. Pierced themselves through with many sorrows. To left behind their faith to pursue money? How could that be? We got to watch out because money can can become our god and and it is a form of idolatry where we leave behind the pursuit, seeking after God. That whole passage in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He's talking about where we put our hearts, where we, where we have our treasure. He says, There will our hearts be also. That if we're, our hearts, are, our, our, our treasure is in the things, is in the money, is in the bank account, is in the, the stuff that we have, it's going to be empty, he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Someone said this in their mad striving after gold, men neglect spiritual things. And it becomes difficult to tell whether they were ever really saved at all. Striving after gold. Is it, is it bad? Is it wrong to be wealthy? No, I don't think so. It's when the wealth has us, right? That's the problem. It's not when we have wealth. It's when wealth has us. When it controls us. But I kind of like what the Proverbs writer said in Proverbs 30. He said, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Give me just enough. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say, give us this day our you know, yearly bread or, or you know, decade bread or whatever. To trust God for today. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? He said, you know, he wanted eternal life. He went to Jesus and said he wanted eternal life. And, and Jesus said, well, you know, you kept the commandments. You've done what the word of God says. Yeah, I've done all these things. I've done this and this and this. And Jesus said, you know, but you, there's still one thing. You've got, 
all this stuff, you got all this money, go ahead and give it all away and, and uh, then you'll have treasure and then you'll be able to be all right. And what does it say he did? It says he went away sad because he had many possessions, because his possessions had him. He, went, he, he turned away from eternal life. Now, does that mean everybody needs to give up their stuff? No, but Jesus was pointing at his heart, like, what has your heart? And it was the stuff. He went away sad. One more quote and then one more verse and we'll, we'll get to that potluck. A fellow by the name of J.C. Ryle. And don't get him riled up. He was the first Anglican bishop, Anglican bishop of Liverpool in the 1800s. And listen to this. I, I love what he has to say because it makes so much sense. And this is back in the 1800s before we even, you know, uh, had all the prosperity and everything that we have here today. He said, money, in truth, is one of the most unsatisfying of possessions. He says, it takes away some cares, no doubt, but it brings with it quite as many cares as it takes away. He says, there's trouble in the getting of it. There's anxiety in the keeping of it. There are temptations in the use of it. There's guilt in the abuse of it. He said, two-thirds of all the strifes, quarrels, and lawsuits in the world arise from one simple cause. Money. Money. For the love of money. I want to close with this last verse because I think this is the key verse right here. Hebrews chapter 13, he says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Isn't that interesting? The other verse in Philippians, Paul said, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context was contentment. Here he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We quote that verse as well, but the context is being content. Where the writer of the Hebrews is using it at any rate. Keep your lives free from the love of money. We have a part to play in it. And be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He is enough, you see. That's why we sang that song today. He is enough. He is enough. All the stuff we have, yeah, we need it to survive, we need to work hard, we need to pay the bills, we need to do what we need to do, and all that's, and all that's good and right and everything. But if we, if we put our treasures in where the, where the stuff is, and not where God is, we're going to be very unsatisfied. We're going to be very discontented people. I think there's nothing that is a worse witness as a Christian to be a discontented Christian. And unsatisfied. Always, you know, it just shows up. It doesn't like click. It doesn't add up. But a Christian who, like Paul, is, is content, he learned the secret of being content. He put money in its proper place. He didn't love his money. He just used it. Because God will never leave us. Never forsake us. He's always going to be there. May we be content with him in our lives. Let's pray together, shall we? 
Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and it does, it does stretch our perspective, Lord, and it's not the picture the world is telling us. The world says, you need. And uh, I know the commercials, they tell us, you deserve. Not only do you need to have this thing, you deserve to have it. Father, what we need is you. The sooner we realize that, that what we need is you and that you are there for us, you will never leave us, never forsake us, so why should we be discontented and unsatisfied? Father, forgive us for looking in the wrong places for that peace, that, that satisfaction that in our soul that only comes from you. Father, we do pray you'd give us our daily bread. We need the bread. We need the shelter. We need clothing. We need these things. We need transportation, depending on our situation. We need different things. But, Lord, uh, if, if it all got taken away today, would our lives be shattered and destroyed, or would we still know that we have you and that that's where peace and contentment comes from? Teach us, Lord. Help us to learn the secret of being content. Being content with what we have. And what we have, first and foremost, is you. Father, I pray for any here this morning who don't have you in their lives, who, who never have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, please take this opportunity to say, Lord, I, I am lost. I've tried to find answers and stuff and things of this world, things of this earth. So I come to you and, and, and ask you if you can show me a different way, if you can meet the need of my soul, my heart. I come and I say, Lord, I, I put my life in your hands. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me my sin because of, because of the cross that paid the price, because of the resurrection that defeated death. Maybe that's you this morning. Simply call out to him and he, he will show you himself. He'll give you a peace that passes understanding. Peace that only he can give. Father, we do pray this morning for, excuse me, for our fellowship together. Just lost my voice. Just bless our time together, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.